Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for these letters to the seven churches in Revelation as we uh, look to wrap up today with this final church. I ask that you would leave us with humble and repentant hearts um, in obedience to your call throughout these, uh, to all these seven churches. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. In Revelation chapter 3, if you want to turn there. Good morning, my name is Micah. Welcome to Northfield Christian Fellowship. Revelation chapter 3, this is going to be the last of the seven letters to the churches in the book of Revelation. You know, it's a well-known fact that really smart people hold breakfast. It's science, like on the level of Dr. Fauci. It's true. Smart people cold breakfast, which is why... I love a warm, hot breakfast. I travel a lot for my job, and so when I have to wake up at ridiculously early hours to start a flight, the one thing that I look forward to that morning is a hot breakfast, some sort of eggs, whether it's a breakfast burrito or an egg sandwich. I love hot eggs with hot coffee in the morning. So my routine at work is to show up at the airport, grab some breakfast, and then eat it in the cockpit while I'm getting the airplane all ready to go. But more times than not, I get distracted by something. A flight problem with a passenger. There's a maintenance issue to deal with. There's a problem with our flight plan. You name it, there's always something to distract me from enjoying my hot eggs and coffee. And so a lot of time, by the time I get to my breakfast, it's been an hour since I bought it. And now the eggs and coffee are no longer hot. They're lukewarm. You know what lukewarm eggs are good for? Not even the chicken who laid those eggs wants to eat them when they're lukewarm. They're good for nothing. Eggs are so good when they're hot. And they're so not good when they're not hot. Christians are like that. The church in Laodicea, lukewarm Christians... And we're going to see in our passage today that they were not good to our Savior. So let's read that passage, Revelation chapter 3. The last part of that chapter, we're going to start in verse 14 and read it through the end into verse 22. In the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich. I have prospered. I need nothing. Realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. Who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The church in Laodicea, it doesn't just get the distinction of being the last church that Jesus addresses here in the book of Revelation. 
They also have the distinction of being the worst church. They're the worst out of the seven churches. Laodicea set themselves apart from all the other churches that we've looked at in that they were the only ones not to have anything positive mentioned about them. Jesus had nothing good to say about this church that was lukewarm. Laodicea, it was one of three cities in the Lycus Valley, which is about 100 miles inland present-day Turkey. Colossae and Aeropolis were the two neighboring cities. And Laodicea had a larger-than-average Jewish population who had apparently blended quite well into their Greek culture there. And the city was extremely wealthy. Back when the Romans developed their massive series of roadways, two main roads crossed at Laodicea, putting it in a perfect location for trade and growth. And what sprung up from Laodicea were three main industries, banking, textiles, and medicine. Here's how wealthy the city of Laodicea had become. In the year A.D. 60, a massive earthquake destroyed most of the city. But they had so much money from their banking industry that the city actually turned down offers from Rome to help them rebuild. Can you imagine? Imagine President Biden calling Governor Pritzker on the phone and offering to bail out bankrupt Illinois and our well-to-do governor saying, you know, thanks but no thanks, Mr. President. We're rock solid financially here in Illinois. It's, it's laughable here to us. But that's just how wealthy the city of Laodicea was. They were that wealthy from their banking industry. They were also well-known textiles, specifically clothes and rugs made from black wool. Laodicea had a reputation throughout Europe and Asia for having the finest, softest black wool textiles. And they were even more well-known for their medicine. They had their own medical school. They had one medicine in specific that they were known for throughout the world. It was an eye salve used to treat eye problems. And this eye salve was exported throughout the known world at the time. All of these industries combined, banking, textiles, medicine, they gave the people in Laodicea a nice, comfortable life. church in Laodicea had grown complacent in their comfort. And Jesus begins this letter in the same way that he has to the previous six churches, by identifying himself with a unique part of his character that is relevant to that church. To this church in Laodicea, he says in verse 14, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. He calls himself the amen. That's a Hebrew word meaning truth or certainty. That's why we end our prayers with an amen, because we're leaving our prayer in the place of certainty. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church that all the promises are in their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Certainty. It also says he's the beginning of God's creation. In other words, Jesus was not created himself. Rather, he is the creator, the cause of all other creation. Just as John reminds us in his gospel, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. 
Jesus opens up here basically saying, I'm God the creator, the certainty, the faithful and true witness. Which is fitting because he's writing to people of unfaithful and false witnesses. These are uncertain Christians. He's the certainty. After identifying himself, Jesus' format has then been to compliment each church in all of his previous letters, but not this church. Jesus has no compliment for this church in Laodicea. Instead, he goes right into his rebuke. He says in verse 15, I know your works. I know your works. Notice he doesn't say, I know your heart. I mean, shouldn't our Savior have looked at their hearts instead of their works? I mean, their works don't save them, right? It's Christ in our hearts that saves us. James tells us faith without works is dead. In other words, our works reveal our hearts. So by looking at their works, Jesus knows exactly what's in their hearts. He continues in verse 15 saying, You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. <clears throat> the city of Laodicea, even though they were rich, they had terrible water. They had to pipe in their, their water through an underground aqueduct from the nearest water source, which was several miles away. And their neighboring cities did not have this problem. They had a ready source of cold water from fresh streams. And Aeropolis had a ready source of hot water from nearby hot springs. But Laodicea wasn't so lucky. Their water was nasty. And by the time it was piped through the aqueducts into the city, it was not only dirty, it was neither hot nor cold. It was lukewarm. So when Jesus tells them here in, fifth, in uh, verse 15 that they are neither hot nor cold, they would know exactly what that was like. It was just like their crummy water, completely unrefreshing. Verse 16, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Jesus wants hot Christians. He wants Christians who are willing to take up our cross daily and follow him. Christians who are willing to live out their faith. That's hot. And that's easy to understand that Jesus would want somebody who's hot in their faith instead of somebody who's lukewarm. But how about a cold person? Jesus in this passage actually prefers cold over lukewarm. A cold person is one who rejects the faith. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. Why would Jesus prefer that over somebody who was lukewarm? Those who are at least realize they're cold, they can be shown that they're lost. A cold person is easier to reach than a lukewarm person is. The person who's lukewarm thinks they're fine. They claim to be saved, but they're complacent, apathetic. They're impossible to reach. Hey, I'm a Christian. Jesus is all right with me. But their lives show no sign of being saved. They might be. They might not be. To which Jesus says, I will spit you out of my mouth. Just like their water supply, Jesus finds a lukewarm Christian to be intolerable. The people in this church, they're not only lukewarm, they're also self-deceived. 
They have no idea just how bad their condition is. They think they're doing great. Verse 17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. This church lived in luxury, not having a care in the world. And Jesus tells them, you think you're the envy of all the other churches here living here in Laodicea. You're actually most to be pitied. You think you're rich, poor, you're spiritually impoverished. You export your eye drops all over the world to help people see better, yet you're blind spiritually. You produce some of the finest black wool clothing in Asia, yet before me, you're naked. What's fascinating about this church in Laodicea is it did not appear to be suffering any of the great struggles like all the other churches were. In every other church that we've looked at in the book of Revelation, they were in the midst of some sort of hardship, either persecution from the outside or battling or immorality from the inside. Every other church had struggled in some way or another, and they had all, to some degree at least, grown in the midst of their struggles. But not this church in Laodicea. They had no real struggles to speak of. And the result was that they had no real growth either. No struggles, no growth. Something for us to remember when we go through struggles. So Jesus counsels them, starting in verse 18. He says, I counsel you to buy from me gold. Gold refined by fire. In other words, step out of your ease and let your faith be tested. The book of 1 Peter talks about tested faith. Peter calls faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire that it may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tested faith is refined faith. Untested faith is lukewarm faith. Jesus continues in verse 18, and white garments so that you may close yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. Laodicea had the finest black wool clothing all around. What they needed was white garments. Isaiah spoke about these in the Old Testament. He said, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. The finest garments on the planet cannot cover up our sin. Only the white garments of salvation can. Jesus goes on again in verse 18. And salve your eyes so that you may see. Laodicea, they were the source of eye salve on the earth. Their eye salve could help the world to see more clearly, but it couldn't help them see their own sin, and it couldn't help them see their Savior. In the book of John, just before Jesus healed the blind man, he said to him, I am the light 
of the world. Because without light, nobody can see. The church in Laodicea was so lukewarm, so apathetic, that they were unaware of just how useless they had become. They thought they were rich. What they needed was gold refined by fire. They thought they looked great in their black wool clothing. What they needed was the white garments of forgiveness. They thought that they had the solution to see better. They were quite proud of their eye drops. What they needed was the eye salve of their Savior. How do they do that? How do you and I do that when we find ourselves to be lukewarm? Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous. Those whom I love, Jesus says, the first thing for us is to remember Christ's love. Jesus is writing to a church that made him sick to his stomach, and yet he still loved these lukewarm Christians. You and I need to remember that. It's not your love for Jesus that makes you spiritually hot. It's his love for you. He is the source of our love, of our heat. He told his disciples, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Some of us have been Christians for so long, and we've heard about the love so much that it's just lost its meaning. Secondly, we're to welcome Christ's discipline. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Did you get that? Jesus didn't say, I discipline those who make me sick. He said, I discipline those whom I love. Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Nobody likes discipline. But we can still welcome Christian and makes him a hot Christian. You can see it all over the world today. The more Christians are disciplined, reproved, persecuted, the hotter they are for their Savior. Do you and I welcome the Lord's discipline here in the United States of Laodicea? Or are we so comfortable that we'd rather be lukewarm than to, make, than to be made hot by the reproof of Christ's discipline? Thirdly, repentance. So be zealous and repent, he says. It's the same call Jesus gives to every church he rebuked here in Revelation. Repent. It's the same call Jesus gives to the lost. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's impossible for a person to be saved without repentance. A person is not saved by accepting Jesus into their hearts. Jesus is not looking for acceptance. He's looking for repentance. And repentance, is, it's not just a, a one-time thing a person does to become saved. It's a lifelong practice as a Christian. Because an unrepentant Christian is a lukewarm Christian. They're hot for their Savior. They're on fire for Jesus because they've recently 
they've been convicted by the, their, their sin and experienced the joy of repentance. It's also why so many of us who have been Christians for years were lukewarm. We left our big sins behind long ago. We've been pretty good for a long time. Don't really need to repent anymore. Wrong. We've become blind to our more insidious sins that still fester and reproduce within us. We'd rather the comfort of complacency than to search out our, our, our filthiness. We see repentance as something that the lesser Christian still has to do. Not us. We forget that our repentance is a gift from God himself. That God's kindness is what leads you to your repentance. Some of you remember the movie back in the 1980s, Chariots of Fire. It was about a Scottish athlete named Eric Little. Eric Little won the gold medal in the 400 meter in the 1924 Olympic Games in Paris. He was planning on running the 100 meter because sprinting was his strength. But he couldn't because for the 100 meter were held on a Sunday and Eric Little refused to run on the Lord's Day. So he switched to the 400 meter and he, he became the underdog hero, not only winning the gold but setting a new world record. So a year after those Olympic Games, he gave up all the fame and fortune as an Olympic hero and he aborted a ship to become a missionary in China where he would spend the remaining 20 years of his life. When World War II happened, the Japanese troops in China, they put him in one of their internment camps. And at the camp, Little quickly became a father figure, organizing Bible studies and sports activities for the others. He became affectionately known in that camp as Uncle Eric. Those who speak about him at the camp, they would affectionately give glowing reports of his selfless devotion to the other prisoners, especially to the sick and the elderly and the children. Eric Little died in that camp in 1945 from a brain tumor. The other prisoners didn't even know he had any ailment. They had no idea he was struggling with physical pain because Uncle Eric was too busy teaching the Bible and looking out for them. Years later, one of the other prisoners, who was a, he was a child at the time when they were at this internment camp. None of us will ever forget this man who was totally committed to putting God first. A man whose humble life combined muscular Christianity with radiant godliness. What a testimony. A man whose humble life combined muscular Christianity with radiant godliness. Eric Little was no lukewarm Christian. He probably didn't always feel hot. I'm sure there were plenty of days that he wanted to be lukewarm. You know what? I'm no Eric Little. I battle being lukewarm on and off throughout my life. And so I constantly need to remember Christ's love welcome his discipline, and repent. That's how to be hot again for your Savior. Have you lost your heat? 
Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Verse 20, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice, the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus is knocking at your door. And this is not some pathetic plea by a lonely God saying, please let me in. This is the master of the house expecting his servant to open the door for him. And when we do, the fellowship with him is sweet. He will enter and eat with you and you with him. And this is no ordinary meal. This is a feast. Later on in the book of Revelation, this feast is called the Mepper. And the angel revealing this marriage supper to the apostle John as he writes this, he says, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We don't just get a good meal out of this. He has so much more in store for you. Verse 21, to the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. In the ancient world, nobody sat upon the throne except for the king. A person could not even enter the throne room under punishment of death. He was invited in by the king. And yet our king of kings here says, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. Can you imagine sitting on the throne of almighty God himself? Can you imagine hearing the words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This is the encouragement that Jesus gave to a church that was so pathetically lukewarm that he wanted to spit them out of his mouth. I would expect him to say, if you straighten up, maybe I'll throw you some crumbs in heaven. He doesn't do that. He tells them, I am knocking at your door. I want you to be a part of my feast. I want you to sit upon my throne with me. If he said these things to the church in Laodicea, the worst of all the seven churches, you know what that means for you? You are never too far gone. You are never too far gone in your relationship with Jesus. No matter what you've done, no matter how complacent and lukewarm you he is still knocking at your door, inviting you to the wedding feast. And he expects you to open that door and to let him in. How do you do that? How do you allow Jesus to return to the throne room of your life? You remember his love. You welcome his discipline. And you repent. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray.
Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Father, that your Son loved us so much that he not only took upon our sin, he shares his inheritance with us. He knocks upon our door. Thank you, Jesus. Grant us repentant hearts that we may experience the joy of our salvation, that we may be hot for your glory. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Behold, I stand upon the door and knock, he says. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. As you go, remember your Savior's love. Welcome his discipline. And where it's needed, repent. If you'd like to do this today after the service, come see me or talk to one of the elders. This concludes our service. May God bless you.